Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to ask you to take them with me and open them with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 for this morning's message and for our time together. Today, as we open God's Word, we come to our final sermon in the series, It's High Time. Our final sermon in the series, It's High Time, where throughout this series, we've been reminded of the urgency of the moment. And perhaps nowhere is that more clearly than this climactic moment and final message that we come to today. That phrase, high time, comes from Romans chapter 13, verse 11, where the Bible says this, and that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. That phrase, high time, is not a phrase that we use very often today. But in days gone by, it was a phrase that described an urgent moment. It was like literally God was saying, it's now or never. Maybe the imagery would be that of an alarm clock that's ringing and ringing and ringing, and it's down to the final ring. You answer it now or you miss it. It's the batter who's at the plate in the bottom of the ninth, two outs, two strikes, it's now or never. For those of you who are watching that little football game last night, it's the team on their own two-yard line, 98 yards to go, it's now or never in the final minutes of the game. What God is saying in the midst of the culture in the moment, I believe to the church, is this, it's high time to do some things. It's not time to be complacent. It's not time to be apathetic. It's not time to be sleepwalking your way through life. It's not time to be given in to all the political pressure and all the distractions and all the whims of the world. It's high time to be about the Lord, our relationship with him, and his calling in our life. Throughout this series, we've been reminded of that, that it's high time to awake to be alert and aware of what God is doing in our lives. It's high time to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's high time to put on the armor of God. It's high time to speak up and share the gospel so that souls are saved and lives are changed. And it's high time to store up even our treasures in heaven. But here today in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, we look at a very simple calling. And here's where we'll end the series today. And that is this. It is high time for us to look up. It's high time to look up. Sometimes we use that phrase to look up as a means of encouragement. Maybe someone's discouraged or defeated and they're going through heartache and we might say, hey, you just gotta look up, it's gonna get better. Sometimes we hear that phrase look up and we think of a literal looking up that needs to happen. I was reminded of that the other day as I was driving around the Bridgewater College area and there was a, a young man who was walking and he was looking down at his cell phone, I think as he was adjusting the playlist on his phone and he said, right out in front of me and, and uh, by God's grace, I saw him and there was not a disaster, but I wanted to say, hey buddy, look up and pay attention to what's going on around you. But in God's word, not only do we have words of encouragement to look up, not only do we have words of literal instruction to look up, God tells us in light of what is coming, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again, it is high time to look up. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three literally reminds us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, that is the finisher, the fulfiller of our faith 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He was despised in the shame, and today he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Today, God is calling us to look up to the Lord to be encouraged. He's calling us to look up to get our focus fixed on him, but he's also calling us to look up, understanding that Jesus is coming again. We are not merely looking up to Jesus simply for encouragement and direction, but today God is also calling us to look up for Jesus, knowing that he's soon and very soon coming again. I want you to look with me at God's word in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, beginning in verse 15, and we'll read down through several verses of chapter five. If you're able to do so, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? The Bible says this in verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. That is those who have physically died. For the Lord himself, somebody said the word himself. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Somebody say the phrase caught up. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Chapter five, verse one. Now to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety and destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you're all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of day nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love as, as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Let's pray together. Father, would you now speak to our hearts and minds? Make us aware of your promises so that our lives can be transformed, that we can surrender to you, that you would have your way in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this morning. You may be seated. It's high time to look up. Well, of course, we've recently celebrated a time of Thanksgiving around here. And when I think of Thanksgiving, my mind goes back to many of the childhood memories that I enjoyed when I was growing up. And when I think about Thanksgiving, I think of many things. I think of the traditional turkey meal and I think of gathering with family and friends. But growing up in Alabama, I also think of something that might be a little bit unusual and unique to many people. Growing up in Alabama, so for the traditional lunchtime, we would go to my granny and papa's house where we would have turkey and dressing and all the fixings. But then in the evening time, we would drive across town to a little community called Taylor, Alabama, a rural community where we would visit my mom's parents, my grandmama and granddaddy. And as we would arrive to that house, we would be awaiting something that was very exciting and I learned later to be very unique. And that is this. Instead of the traditional turkey that everybody had had for lunch, we instead had a great seafood feast. 
I mean shrimp and oysters and hush puppies and all the delicious stuff. And if you love seafood, everybody said, amen, hallelujah. It was awesome, like a little taste of heaven on earth. But not only did I look forward to that night because of the seafood, I looked forward to it because I knew what was going to happen after we enjoyed the meal. And that is all my cousins and I, my siblings and I, as the night sky grew, as it got dark outside, we would all go out into the yard and out into the field to play a very interesting game of hide and seek in the dark. Well, I don't know if you've ever played hide and seek as a child, if you remember that game when you were little, but sure enough, you would designate someone to be it. And then they would begin to count out loud. One, two, three, four, five, all the way to the 100. And many of my cousins were not honest. They were liars. And they would say five, 25, 75, 100. And then they would say, ready or not, here I come. That's exactly right. Now, out in that field, man, we could hide behind bushes. We could hide behind trees. We could even hide in ditches. And if you had a good hiding spot, you could hide for hours. But you would hear that phrase over and over again. Ready or not, here I come. And that person made that statement. You knew loud and clear they were ready to come find you whether you were ready or not. You also knew that if you were ready for this, you were gonna be prepared and you were gonna be okay. But guess what? If you hadn't lived well, if you hadn't found good hiding spaces, if you hadn't managed the time wisely, then guess what? You were likely going to be found and you would pay the consequences for that as our cousins would play. I look forward to that game. Well, that was simply a game that a bunch of us as kids played. And we got a few bruises and bumps along the way playing that in the dark, let me just tell you. The truth of the matter is this. Christian, ready or not, Jesus is coming again. Ready or not, Jesus is coming again. And I believe the question that we're being asked in this moment is this. How are you living your life? How are you making the most of your time? Are you ready for the return and the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter four and 1 Thessalonians chapter five, God began to describe for us two events that will happen in the future. The first is the event called the rapture. The rapture takes place according to 1 Thessalonians four verses 16 through 17, when the believers are called up together to meet Jesus in the clouds. But then there's a second future event that will take place after a time, I believe, a great tribulation, that Jesus will return again literally to this earth where he will rule and he will reign. The point of this message today is not to debate God's time frame for end time events. That's not the goal. The purpose of this message today is to call us to the primary emphasis of this in Scripture. Because the primary emphasis of Scripture, whether you're looking at the rapture or the return of Jesus, is simply this. Jesus is coming again, we must be ready. And that's the question, are you ready? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready to be in his presence? I believe this morning God is saying, it's high time to look up. And in that context, I want us to look at this pastor's scripture and notice three things in our text this morning. Number one, I want you to see the promise of Jesus is coming. The promise of Jesus is coming. The Bible says loud and clear in verse 16 that the Lord himself, not a representative, not an angel, not an apostle, not a prophet, not a pastor, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The promise of Jesus is coming. The coming again of Christ is one of the most repeated scriptures and repeated truths that is taught all throughout the New Testament and throughout God's word. 
In fact, so clear was the coming again of Christ that Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. It's like Paul is saying, listen, you know loud and clear. Jesus said he was going to go prepare a place, and one day he is coming again. About a week ago, as my family and I were getting ready to make plans for our Thanksgiving week, one of my daughters came up to me and asked me the question. As she was asking questions about the Thanksgiving week, she said, Dad, on Thanksgiving Day, and I said, yes, are we gonna watch football again? That was the question, right? And of course, my answer was, well, of course we're gonna watch it. What are you thinking, right? Like, why would we not watch a football game or two? And of course, what she was really asking is, can we also watch the Hallmark Channel a little bit in the midst of that? And so we did some of that too. The point is, I'm looking at her like, you have, no, you have no reason for me to explain this. Of course, we're gonna watch a little football. It's what we do as part of the Thanksgiving day. The truth is, God is looking at us, the apostle Paul, and says, listen, you got no need for me to say anything further. You know that Jesus is coming again. How do you know it so clearly? We know it so clearly because Jesus said that he would. In John chapter 13 is Jesus is preparing his disciples for the fact that he is soon to be separating from them. Listen to what it says in John 13, verse 36. Jesus says, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow after. And even in that statement, Peter, I think, and the disciples begin to get a bit nervous. They, they don't want Jesus to be gone. They don't want there to be this separation. And it's in that exact context that Jesus says in John 14, verses one through three, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, what does he say? I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. It's like Jesus is looking at them and saying, listen, there's gonna be this separation. I'm not gonna be here forever. I've come with an express purpose to bring salvation to the world, but I'm gonna go to heaven and I'm going to prepare a place. And if I go, I want you to know something. This separation, it's temporary. This separation, it's not gonna last long. In fact, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to be your comforter and to be your helper, to guide you and to lead you in all truth. But I want you to know, there is coming a day, disciples, when I'm gonna come again to receive you to myself. This is the direct promise of Jesus. I am coming again. Of course, Jesus said, did what he said he would do. He came and he gave his life as a ransom for many. He died on the cross for the sins of the world, lived a sinless life, and yet he gave his life on the cross. They took his body off of that cross. They put it into a temporary borrowed tomb. Three days later, he rose again from the grave. And over the next 40 days, he appeared to multiple eyewitnesses, over 500 at one time. And then he's gathered with his disciples on the mountain. And the Bible says in Acts chapter one, he ascends into heaven. And as he ascends into heaven, the disciples stand there in amazement at all that they had experienced, at all the statements that Jesus had said, how they were coming true. They're all fulfilled in him. And then the voice of the angel cries out in Acts chapter one, verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Jesus said, I'm coming again. The angel said, he's coming again. Friend, you can mark it down every single time. What God promises is true. He will fulfill every promise, certainly in the context of who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's doing. His promise is clear, but the question for us is this. Do we believe it? 
Do we live our life in readiness and in preparation for how Jesus will fulfill his promise that he is coming again? Sometimes, perhaps, like a child that might receive instruction from their parent, we forget it. When the word doesn't happen the way we think it will or in the timing, we we get distracted and we begin to live for other things. We're not focused on what the promise has been. But I want to remind you, according to Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, the Bible says this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? In other words, God's promises are true and he will fulfill every last word of what he has promised to do. In fact, so much so in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, God looks at the apostle Paul and says, listen, all of my promises in Jesus Christ, they are yes, they will be accomplished, they will be done. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime as we hear the promise of God and yet we honestly acknowledge it's sometimes difficult to grasp and difficult to wait? Listen to what the Bible says in James chapter five, verses seven through eight. These are great words of instruction. The Bible says this, therefore be, what's the word? Patient, don't you love that word? Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is, what's the word? near. You may not feel it. You may not see it. You may look at the brokenness in the world. You may look at the hardship of your circumstance or situation, and you may not see it clearly. But God says, the coming of the Lord is near. It's nearer than it's ever been before. So you be patient and you strengthen your heart. You strengthen your heart by getting in God's word. You strengthen your heart by trusting the promises of God. You strengthen your heart by fellowship with other believers. You strengthen your heart by coming to God in prayer and casting every care upon him. You strengthen your heart as you wait on the Lord, recognizing and believing the promise of his coming. The second thing I want you to see about this reality that Jesus is coming again is the preparations of his coming. The preparations of his coming. I imagine this morning that as many of us have celebrated Thanksgiving, that it is very likely that some of you had guests in your house for Thanksgiving. Or maybe some of you, like myself, were guests in someone's house for Thanksgiving. Anytime you're having guests come over for some sort of gathering, there's a time of preparation that takes place. As we've had meals at times in people's homes, the question might be, well, what does your family like to eat? Or, 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 or what, is there anything that you're allergic to? Is there anything that we need to know? Is there anything we need to know about the pets or the dogs or anything like that? There's all kinds of preparations that take place because you want to take good care and be, be ready for your guests that are arriving. Well, God tells us in his word, now listen, the promise is Jesus is coming again. But with that promise, there are some words that are intended for us to help us prepare. Just like with urgency, we'd be preparing for guests who were coming to our house. God is saying, listen, Jesus is coming again. Ready or not, he's going to come. And so how can we prepare well for that moment? And I think there's three things that stand out in this text that should help us to understand the importance of it and the importance of the actions that he's calling us to. Three things about the preparation of his coming. Number one, understand this about the rapture. It will be a sudden event. The coming again of Jesus will be a sudden, instant event. 
Verse 16 describes what will happen in that moment. It says this, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive remain, key phrase, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It will be a sudden event. This word caught up literally means in the English, it implies a sudden, speedy and hasty action. In fact, the other way its word is translated is the word snatched. Let me illustrate that, Acts chapter eight, verse 39. Remember Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter eight? Philip shares the gospel with the eunuch. The eunuch believes in Jesus. They go down into the water and there Philip baptizes him. Let me ask you a question. Did Philip stay around and hang out for a long time? Was this a good reception, a celebration? No, listen to what happens, Acts eight thirty nine. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Immediately after the the eunuch was baptized, the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God snatched Philip away and put him somewhere else for his express purposes and will. I think of the word snatched, my mind goes back to an illustration that I saw just last night. Last night, we were blessed to have uh, my sister and my brother-in-law from Alabama and my mom. Uh, we were, she, they were at our house together and we were enjoying a meal together and enjoying this little football game that happened in Alabama last night. And y'all pray for me. My brother-in-law is an Auburn fan. He really needs Jesus. But anyway, so we were playing. <laughs> we were having a time together and, and uh, you know, we've got a lot of kids and we've been out of town. We just got back into town yesterday. And so we had disposable plates and disposable cups and that kind of thing. And we're sitting there watching the game. We have enjoyed a meal and and I've got a precious little niece and a precious little nephew. And it just so happens to be my little nephew, he, he, he gets into a lot of things pretty quickly. I love his energy. It's awesome. He's very, very creative. We're sitting there watching the game and everything's all well and good. And all of a sudden he runs over towards the wall into the window. And I honestly thought nothing of it. I thought he was looking at the puppy that was on the back porch and he was kind of oohing and on over that. But what I didn't realize was as soon as he began to put his hand on the wall, my brother-in-law, like with his Superman cape, rushed into action. And he rushed into action. And I mean like one fell swoop, suddenly and instantly he had taken my nephew and he had disarmed a threat that I didn't even know existed. You know what the threat was? Somehow my two and a half year old nephew, knowing that there were disposable cups, also knew there must be Sharpies around. (laughs) And so he had managed to take the Sharpies and was getting ready to do some beautiful artwork on our wall and windows. It was amazing, you know? But just like that, my brother-in-law swooped in and he completely snatched away the Sharpies and spared our wall. God bless you and thank you, my brother-in-law who's here today. It is that kind of sudden instant moment, I say that jokingly, that God's saying this. When the trumpet sounds and the shout goes forth, instantly the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain, we will be called up together instantly to be with the Lord in the clouds. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, here's how it describes how sudden this will be. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That is, we will not all die, but we will all be changed. Listen to this phrase. In a, what's the word? Moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. In a moment, this will happen. In other words, the time to prepare is now. Because when the trumpet sounds, we will be in the presence of Jesus so quickly that it will be too late for those who have not yet believed. How do we prepare? We prepare knowing that it could come at any moment. It will be a sudden event. Secondly, we prepare by knowing it will be a saving event. 
It will be a saving event. The, the Bible says here loud and clear that we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. In other words, this is the fulfillment of our salvation. Remember, I said to you about six weeks ago that when the Bible speaks of salvation, it speaks of it in the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense. The past, you have been saved. The present tense, you are being saved. The future tense, you will be saved. Now let's start for just a moment. Every single person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ and called upon him to be their Lord and Savior has been saved. Whether that happened five seconds ago five years ago or five decades ago. It's a past event. You have been saved. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, for by grace you, past tense, have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The Bible says in John chapter three, when you put your faith in Christ, it is being born again. It's something that happens that moment of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But salvation is not only about what happened to you perhaps years ago. If you've been saved, you are now being saved. It's an ongoing process. That's why Paul would say, so work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's an ongoing process. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 18 says this, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, listen to this, who are being saved, it is the power of God. I am being saved in the sense that sin has no power over me. I've been forgiven, I've been redeemed, and, and, and I have been set free. And so now I walk forward and I live in victory, living out this ongoing salvation in my life. But there's a future salvation that is coming. And that takes place when Jesus comes again. That's what the Bible speaks of in Romans 13, 11, when it says, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. But don't forget, what does it mean to be saved? It means to be rescued. It means to be delivered. When Jesus comes again, yes, we are rescued from our sins, no doubt about it, but we are rescued from this fallen world. I believe the Bible points to the fact in 1 Thessalonians chapter five, and we'll see in other chapters in just a moment, this simple fact. When the rapture takes place and all the believers in Christ are gathered to meet the Lord in the air, after this, here in this world, God will pour out his judgment his wrath on this fallen, sinful world, this world that is opposed to God, this world that has rejected his son, this world that has snubbed their nose in the face of God. The Bible says that God's just judgment will come when the believers are gathered out of this place. In other words, when Jesus comes again, we're gonna be rescued from this world that will experience the just consequence of their actions. The Bible calls it in the Old Testament and in the New the day of the Lord. Many people, when they think about the rapture today, many people get scared. Oh man, Jesus is gonna come so suddenly, it's gonna happen so fast, and people get scared when they think about the rapture. But the truth of the matter is this. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's nothing to be afraid of. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know that he's your Lord and Savior, you're living your life for him, you have the assurance of your salvation, I'm telling you, the rapture brings nothing to be afraid of because in that moment of rapture, you're gonna be rescued, you're gonna be delivered, and that moment of rapture, please understand, we have every reason to rejoice because the Bible says we will meet the Lord in the clouds and we will always be with him. Hallelujah, what a savior and what an incredible, glorious moment that will be. 
But I can tell you, I know why some people get afraid. Because the tribulation that's gonna come to this world after the believers are raptured, it should bring fear and terror. So man, that's not, that's not popular preaching. It's God's preaching, it's his message. All throughout the Old Testament, listen to how God describes the day of the Lord, what I believe to be the great tribulation, this time of judgment on the earth. I'm gonna read these quickly. Listen to what the Bible says. It says simply this, wail, wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation and will exterminate its sinners from it. So man, I hadn't heard that before. Jeremiah 46, verse 10. For that day belongs to the Lord God of hosts. It is a day of vengeance so as to avenge himself on his foes. Joel 2, 11. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great for strong as he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome and who can endure it? Zephaniah 1, 14 through 15. Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen to the day of the Lord. In it, the warrior cries out bitterly. It's a day of wrath. It's a day of trouble and distress. A day of destruction and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. God concludes in verse 17, I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, God says this, and that day's gonna come like a thief in the night. They're not gonna expect it. The unbelieving world's not gonna be anticipating it, but it's gonna be a day of deep destruction and it will be completely inescapable. But for the believer, I wanna remind you, it is a, the reality of Jesus coming again, it is a saving event. That's why the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 and 11, listen to this. Christian, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation, that future salvation when we're rescued, when we're delivered, we're taken out of this world and the judgment is to come. For obtaining salvation, how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not saved through the name of a church. We're not saved through the faith of our grandparents. We're not saved through good works. We're not saved by our religious heritage. We're saved only through the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is, are you ready? Are you putting your faith in Jesus? Or are you depending upon anything else? Because anything else will fall short. Those who believe in Jesus will be delivered and saved from God's wrath. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Third, here's a word of preparation. Please understand it will be a separating event. The coming again of Jesus will be sudden, it will be saving for all who believed in Jesus, and it will be a time of separation. Separating who? Separating the saved from the unsaved, the light from the darkness, the wheat from the chaff. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. So having been called up together with the Lord, we shall always be with the Lord. Think of this for just a moment from the world's perspective. Remember that word rapture, or remember that phrase here, it says to be caught up. It means to be snatched away suddenly and instantly. I wanna remind you as believers for just a moment, we don't live our life in a vacuum. We don't live in a holy huddle, right? We, we live with people. 
We live in neighborhoods with people. We go to work with people. We are friends with people. We're doing life with people all around us, some who know Jesus, some who don't. Can you imagine the panic and the confusion in the world that will occur when every saved person on this earth is suddenly and instantly called up together to meet the Lord? Matthew 24 says it this way. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. This separation will happen instantly. As quick as the believers are raptured, suddenly this separation will occur and there will be confusion and there will be chaos. There will be uncertainty in the world all around us. Everybody wondering, where did they go? What happened? How is this taking place? What's going on? You think the pandemic has caused confusion? Please understand, it is nothing compared to the day that will occur in the future. Beyond that, think for a moment, what it will be like in this world when all of those who have been placed in this world to be light in the midst of the darkness, God takes every single one of those lights to be with him. Can you imagine for a moment how devastating it will be on this earth? I want you to see a third thing. I want you to see the priority of his coming. Romans 13, 11 tells us, now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Please hear me loud and clear. I don't share these words just so we can be like, hmm, you know, I wonder what the timing's gonna be. God hasn't given us his word just so that we would be oohed and awed over it or have a bunch of mental knowledge so that we would understand some facts about what's taking place. God always gives us his word so that we would receive it by faith and respond in obedience. In other words, even the promise of the coming of Christ should point us to clear practical actions, priorities in our life that we would live out today. So knowing that we're called to look up in anticipation of the coming of Christ, there's three things we need to do. Number one, I just said it, we need to look for the return of Jesus. Look for the return of Jesus. Matthew 24, verse 36 and 44 says this, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. For this reason, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. I wanna encourage you this week in your worship guide, there's a list of scripture readings. Go read them every single day this week. And here's what you're gonna find. The overall theme is found in Luke chapter 12. And here's what it is. When it comes to the fact that Jesus is coming again, he tells us something interesting. And here's the summary of it all. Be dressed in readiness. Be clothed in a constant state of readiness that Jesus could come at any moment. When I think of being dressed in readiness, my mind goes back to several years ago now when Heather and I were in those final days of anticipation of the arrival of our third child, Manny. Our second delivery of a child had gone very quickly and the doctor even joked with us that we should probably get a tent and camp out at the hospital. And I remember when we reached the final week of that pregnancy, I remember most nights literally putting on my daytime clothes and going to bed in my clothes. Why? Because I anticipated that any moment I would be awakened to rush to the hospital and I wanted to be ready for it and not miss a single thing. Somebody says, you're crazy. No, I look good actually during the delivery time. Okay, I was dressed and ready for it. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. God's point is this. Jesus is coming again. Be dressed in readiness. Look for the return of Jesus. Number two, 
labor for the return of Jesus. This looking for the return of Jesus doesn't mean that we sit back and we watch paint dry on the wall. That's not what we're doing. This is not sitting back on the front porch with our glass of lemonade waiting for the grass to grow. It's November, you're gonna be waiting a long time if that's the case, okay? No, as a follower of Jesus, we live our life with our eyes looking forward to the fact that he's coming again, but with our hands and with our feet, we are busy about the work of the Lord. We're doing what God has put before us to do. Matthew chapter 24 and verse chapter 25, as Jesus is giving us parable after parable to remind us of the time that he's going to return, to remind us about the time, a judgment that's gonna come in the world, his constant theme is this, be ready. But his secondary theme in Matthew 24 and 25, as he gives us several different parables, is simply this, but be ready and in your readiness, be working for me. It's in that same context in Matthew 25 that he gives us the parable of the talents where the master goes to his servants and he gives one five talents, he gives another two talents and he gives another one talent and the master goes on a journey. They don't know when he's coming back, but eventually the master comes back and he has them give an account of what they have done, how they have served, how they've used this investment that the master has given them. And the Bible says that he looked at the one with five and the one with two who had been faithful who've been working, who've been diligent. And he said to them, well done, good and faithful. Watcher. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. But to the one who had wasted the time, wasted the opportunity, done nothing with it, he literally said to him, you wicked and lazy slave, what you have has been taken from you and given to another. Point is this, we look for the Lord's return and even as we look, we are to be laboring for the Lord's return. Finally, I wanna remind you, we're also called to live for his return. Live for his return. Paul says it emphatically, you brethren are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief for your sons of light and sons of day. So since we are of the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the very hope of salvation. I love the way that Paul concludes this same truth in Ephesians chapter five, verses eight through 10. And truth be told, if you go back and look at almost all of Paul's letters, he eventually gets to this same theme and the same reminder to point us to the fact that as we anticipate the coming of Christ, we should love him and we should live our life for him. Not like the world around us, not characterized by the darkness, but instead by the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he said in Ephesians chapter five and we'll close. For you were formerly darkness, but now, Christian, you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. God calls us in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again to look for him, to labor for him, and to live our life accordingly, knowing that one day we will be with Jesus. Let me close with this reminder. All throughout God's word in the Old Testament, God is pointing to the fact that he is going to send his son as a savior into the world to rescue and redeem his people. All throughout the gospels, we find that Jesus is that savior who came to rescue and redeem the people. 
The book of Acts, we see the gospel on the move as people are, the apostles and the disciples and the early church are going and proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And the rest of the New Testament is filled with reminder after reminder, promise after promise that Jesus is coming again. And yes, that same Savior who came once before is coming again to rescue one day his people. But the book of the, the Bible gets to a climactic moment as we come to the final book in the book of Revelation. If the Lord allows, when we go into January, we're gonna look at the seven churches of Revelation and what that means for us and what God's calling us in the context to do. But as God gives John revelations of things to come in the future, God begins to paint a picture for John. John has these messages for the churches there, the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3. In Revelations 4 and 5, God gives John a grand vision of the fact that Jesus is the Lamb and He alone is worthy. But then in Revelation, sure, of what's going to happen when God brings judgment on this world. And then after that, God begins, begins to give John a vision of what it's going to be like when Satan and all of his cohorts are literally thrown into the lake of fire. And after that, God gives John a vision of heaven. <laughs> and as John, John sees this vision of heaven, he literally, he sees streets of, the only one to describe it, he sees streets of gold and he sees gates of pearl and he sees walls of jasper. He sees that there is no light because Jesus is the light and he's shining bright enough for all to see. He sees the angels gathered worshiping and he see, he's overwhelmed with the thoughts about heaven. And after these visions of heaven, Jesus speaks to John in Revelation 22, verse 20. And here's what he says. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming, how? Quickly. And I can't help but to wonder in this moment if John didn't pause overwhelmed at the thought of heaven, overwhelmed at the thought of Jesus, overwhelmed at the promise he's coming again. Remember in this moment, John has been through all, sort, all sorts of persecution and he's hearing that promise. John, I am coming quickly. Listen to how John responded. Here's what he said. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Can I just take a moment and, and kind of personalize this? Jesus is saying to us today, I am coming quickly. Let me ask you a question. What is your response? Can you say with John today, right now, right here in this moment, right here in this point in time, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, I'm ready to be with you. Or does the thought of Jesus coming again today cause you to realize you're not ready? And my hope and prayer today is this. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has done everything possible. He and he alone has made a way for your soul to be saved, your sins to be forgiven, your life to be changed. You can be saved today. You can be ready today. 
There may be some of us here today, we've been to church a million times before. We've even professed faith in Christ before, but we know there are areas in our life that we think are hidden from everybody else. But I'll remind you, God knows. And we know we're not ready because there's things in our life that we need to repent of and turn from. My hope and prayer today is this. We would recognize it's high time to wake up. It's high time to be ready. Jesus could come at any time. We must be ready all the time. The question for us is this, are we ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. Would you be glorified in our time of response, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.